Hello and welcome to The Long View, a podcast of stories of, about vocation and formation. And we are your hosts. I'm Tim Baumgartner. And I'm Jane Wassum. And today we have a very special guest uh, who we love dearly. Uh, her name is Beth Jarvis, and you are going to learn a lot about her today. Um, and we're excited to have her on the podcast. She grew up near Atlanta, um, like I did as well, but in mm-hmm. McDonough, Georgia. And went, we, we all still just say Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta. we do. We do. <laughs> Sometimes I'll say sort of a suburb, but you know, Atlanta. It's Atlanta. Say. It's everywhere. <laughs> And she went to Atlanta Christian College, which is now Point University. And then she uh, also worked some at campus ministry in Atlanta at Emory called Bread. Mm-hmm. And then came up to Emmanuel, where we were roommates. Yeah, <laughs> that's Henry. right. I forgot about that. <laughs> so um, I almost said freshman roommates, but <laughs> freshman year of seminary. Yep. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, and then she moved to Germany. And um, then she moved to Indianapolis. Yeah. And, Uh, well, a few places. Yeah, there's a lot of turns. A few places she'll tell us about. And then came back uh, and is now working at Emmanuel as the director of the Ministry Resource Center, which we'll hear more about today. That's right. Um, But thanks for being with us today, Beth. Welcome. Um, Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I've really been enjoying this podcast, so it's great. And I love you guys. It's great to be with you here with you so thanks lots of love here today that's right (laughs) we even had pastries and cruffins (laughs) cruffins pop tarts good stuff so beth tell me i know that uh, jane gave us a a really quick rundown but give us a little bit more context okay and uh, kind of flesh out a little bit give us a little bit more of a um the history of kind of your ministry up to this point well sure yeah so i'm originally from mcdonald georgia as jane said um and we've been living here in Johnson City for three years now, and I've been the director of the Ministry Resource Center here uh, for three years, so majority of that time uh, in COVID. Um, that's right. So uh, that's been a fun experience <laughs> to start. Uh, I think many people started new jobs and then COVID happened, so that has yeah. become part mm-hmm. of my story as well. The new part just kind of keeps extending. It keeps, yeah, a lot of start overs. Um, But my role at the seminary is basically to be a resource for local churches, to help the seminary be a resource for the church, and to help pastors connect with one another uh, in ways that help them thrive in ministry. So that's kind of the the short, quick answer of what I do at the seminary. And as you said, like I've had, I've gotten to live in a lot of places um, between McDonough and now here in Johnson City. I've lived in Cape Cod, Atlanta again, Johnson City, Tübingen, Germany, uh, South Bend, Indiana, and then Valparaiso, Indiana, and now back here in Johnson City. So a lot of turns, um, and a lot of turns that I'm really happy with. And I I have friends in a lot of different places, and that's really made for a really rich life. I'm married uh, to Daniel Mm -hmm. Silliman. We've been married for 13 years now. Okay. And yeah, so that's been fun. Yeah, and still fun. And he is the news editor for a magazine called Christianity Today. You may have heard of it. Some some people may have. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's been doing really good work over there. And I'm really proud of all the work he's done. Um, we basically got our new jobs at the same time. Yeah, so they did start August, at the same time. August uh, 2019, I started this role at the seminary, and he started his. We were literally driving here. Uh, we stopped. We were we were packing up the U-Haul to move mm-hmm. to Johnson City, and he got the call from CT. Oh, nice! Okay. And so we like paused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just take a little break here. Yeah. 
signed a contract and closed on a house all in a Starbucks Oof. and then like got back in the U-Haul and kept coming. Thank God for Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You can get a lot of business work done in a Starbucks. Right. Yeah. So, Office away from home. Um, yeah. And we, so we live here now. We go to uh, Hopwood Christian Church mm-hmm. and uh, where I'm an elder and um, we That's really cool. love our church and we have a cat and some chickens and some bees and a backyard garden and we just really love our life here. So take us back to some of the things earlier on in your life or what led you to choose ministry and I guess also seminary. And thinking about how to start this, I think my story includes a lot of angles. I have a deep love for community. I've always been someone I think when I look back at my life like Friendships have shaped me, and I've always uh, wanted to work in places where I could connect with people and different people. And so I have this love for community because it's where I've seen people be healed mm. and transformed. But I've always come at it a, l- a little slant. Okay. Um, <laughs> so my first memory of church, my mother played the piano, and so my very first memory of church is actually uh, I was she would have me like kind of sit underneath the piano bench just okay. to keep an eye on me, yeah. and I would just like color. You know, the preacher would be preaching and the choir would, you know, like they would be, and I would watch the whole service from underneath her piano bench, okay. coloring as a, as a child, small child. Even though I, I, like, I did not have words then for what I was seeing, but, you know, I saw someone connecting with a community of people uh, through the word of God. And I saw a whole choir, you know, singing praises. And, I, and then I saw my mom loving being in that space and so just early on I think I was really shaped by the church and that view of the church which was kind of unique like I, I was an observer basically right, yeah. from underneath a piano yeah. bench but you also probably got to see people in yeah. the congregation their responses to things and participation absolutely and I just I think from a very early age I saw a lot of love and you know not perfect but sure a lot of people coming together um, and loving each other and I also saw my mom use her gift every single Sunday mm-hmm. and and just if you ever see my mom play the piano you can tell she really loves it and she still plays the piano today uh, for a church mm-hmm. and so um, so that was really formative and then like I was really active in youth group you know I was a church kid um, and I was blessed to be a part of a youth group that believed in putting us to work yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. like at a very young age I was leading junior church even though I was okay. probably like 14, 15. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing that with students in two weeks. Yeah, nice. yeah. I, Good. Uh, they, they made yeah. it. They made us go on mission trips. Yeah. Like they made us raise money at an early age. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, I we were just that. constantly doing stuff, and so I think that also, um, I just felt like this is a place I can use my gifts or figure out where what my gifts are. Um, and so, like, kind of a typical, or what used to be a typical right. uh, church kid life, um, uh, was at a, a youth conference, and, you know, they played that song, mm. and I went down and <laughs> yeah. gave my life to Jesus. And Do you gave, remember the song? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's always that song, though, at those Yeah, that moment. That's the one. one when I was, like, they six. Keep, yeah. They keep playing it. They keep playing it. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, like, I went, you know, yeah. it was like a Christ in Youth Conference, um, probably at Milligan mm-hmm. um, back in the day, and I just uh, went down and gave my life to ministry and knew that this was, I, again, not really having a lot of words for it, but knew that I wanted to give my life to connecting people in this way. And so I remember, like, that moment of having this deep 
uh, affirmation. But then it was also like, as soon as I came back down that aisle, and then like the the following months, you know, I could tell that there were some uh, adult leaders who kind of didn't know what to do with me. And that was also like the first time that I realized I was going to be a a woman in ministry, that there were going to be... Uh, Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I was thinking about um, some of the women who have been on this podcast too. um, I've talked about that. And I think being called into ministry and being a woman in ministry, you have, or for me at least, there's this deep affirmation, but then also rejection. Mm. And you kind of embody both of those emotions, especially in the beginning. And it's something you have to work out, something you have to kind of figure out at some point how to not uh, let that distract you, rule you in a way. So, um, and I, I think that is something that I've been able to work through. But that was, you know, that that's part of that weird angle that, right. that yep. brought me into mm-hmm. ministry was this both feeling deeply affirmed, like I knew God, I, and I still, mm-hmm. I know I was called, uh, but also there's this like, okay, but where am I? I'm still kind of like huddled under my mom's piano, like where do I fit? Um, <laughs> yeah. But I'm here. Um, I'm in the room. Regardless. Yeah. Um, And then I think, um, you know, from that went to Bible college. And I was in Bible college at a time where just uh, we, as in a community, experienced a lot of loss. And then I also had some personal loss. Mm. So right before college, uh, my grandpa, who had lived with us uh, my whole life at that point, he died of Alzheimer's. So I watched that um, painful uh, death and then went to college. Yeah. and then pretty, you know, pretty soon, like 9-11 happened. And then right after that, a good friend of mine, her fiance was killed by a drunk driver. And so, yeah. and we were, it was a small Bible college. And, you know, and so 9-11 and this um, personal death yeah. really shaped our college experience. And I think like for me, after going through that, seeing both personal and communal loss, I knew Sunday school answers were just not going to cut Enough. it anymore. And right around that time, like when I was getting ready to graduate, uh, Chip Yerskis. Okay. Uh, so to go back to a previous podcast, yes. yeah. um, he came and spoke in chapel. And <laughs> and he, as if you've listened to that podcast, uh, or that episode, Chip is a full character. He is 100%. <laughs> animated. He's very animated. 100% joy. Just joy coming at you yeah. 90 miles an hour. You can't escape it. And I just remember thinking, I have to see more of what this guy is about because he talked about bread and he talked about hospitality being the only sermon Mm. um and it was at a time when you know just both this like personal and communal loss and it was like okay what does that look like for ministry to to just be a place for for people so yeah i went to bread after after pretty much after college um there was a little little plug a little little, yeah a little (laughs) plug for bread um you know, and I, I, as I'm sure we'll talk about, but you look back in your life and there are some decisions where you're, you kind of start see the dots connecting. You're like, okay, yeah. that kind of fits together. But the decision to go to bread was just such a huge game changer. I mean, in the two years I worked at bread, I met my husband, got a scholarship to come to Emmanuel because of my work at bread. Mm. I was recruited to go to Tübingen, Germany, and work with an organization called Global Scope because of bread. It's just like... Yeah, it was a huge that simple yes just like opened up all these doors um, and changed my life and and brought me to the kind of ministry that I still do today I think in a way of connecting people yeah. and just uh, focusing on hospitality and community 
So as you think about how maybe the, the form of your ministry has changed a little bit, the function not so much, because it's kind of the same message, but how has that affected how you understand vocation or how you understand calling? And what, in what ways has that maybe evolved or changed over the years throughout the different uh, positions you've had? Um, so how have I understood calling or how has the definition yep. of vocation changed yep. for me? Um, your classic question. That's yeah, it. Um, there it is. Um, Don't turn it back. Well, I want to start first. I think so the famous Beekner quote, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Frederick Beekner once said, um, and then we've all been quoting him since, uh, but right. he once said, vocation is your deepest passion, where your deepest passion connects with the world's greatest need. And that was something I think I held as like my definition for vocation for a long time. Um, it definitely like with bread and then uh, the ministry uh, Unterwegs and tubing in Germany, like I was just so passionate about community and hospitality and in college ministry, there was a deep need for those two things uh, to help people not choose isolation and saw the dangers of when someone chooses isolation, what that can mean for their lives. So it was like, no, I'm passionate about hospitality and community, and I can I can bring that to people. I can I can be a part of that. That carried me through a lot. But I think the problem with that quote is it it's not enough in some ways. Like it doesn't yeah. it also doesn't get at the barriers and the injustice that like yeah. you can't just a lot of people can't just like. There are lots of assumptions. It has a lot of assumptions. There's a lot of assumptions there. <clears throat> right. Yeah, yeah, and there's some privilege there too. Yes, um, definitely. Uh -huh. So. What I don't want to give up in that quote is that I do think we need to think deeply about our skills and interests and passions and think about the context where we can live those out. I do think our callings need context because otherwise hmm. they would just be dreams. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good nuance. And yeah, I think what I want to add to that is you have to just put yourself in a place where you can fall in love with someone, with, with a group. Um, and that's the, the context that our calling needs. And it takes time. Uh, yes. It's not just something that falls into place. It's not just like, um, I think that quote can also kind of imply that there's this like magical snowflake destiny that we all have. Mm -hmm. And if I just right. pray just hard enough, I, if I'll just find it. Yeah. Um, what happens if you don't? And what happens if there's just real barriers keeping mm -hmm. you from doing the thing you want to do, which has also been part of my life. Um, and I think other people's uh, stories as well. So, but that being said, I can still choose to love a community of people. And I can still choose to put myself in that context and just see what happens, which is the story of bread. Like so much right. of that ministry was like, <laughs> let's just open the door and see what happens. Yeah, see who shows up. Um, yeah. And from that, you know, like I really do believe that God is working in the world, that the spirit is busy. And so the times where we can't see that, that's on me. Or the times where I can't see that, that's on right. me. I need mm -hmm. to shift in some way to change my perspective um, so that I can see where the spirit is is working and connecting people. Yeah, I love the quote because it, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is concise in that way. Yeah. But you've really got to get into, and you can still agree with it or, you know, say it with conviction, uh -huh. but have some caveats around it and, what it means and then go into kind of the deeper meaning yeah. like that with context. It's really important. I think it's a good place to start, and especially mm -hmm. for like, you know, coming out of youth group and college mm -hmm. ministry. I think I think it's a I think it's a fine place to start. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it doesn't. It, you need more. Yeah. So, it gets overused. That's the, for sure. Or <laughs> when you start to experience things like you're talking about yeah. with context, or you know, if you 
hit those barriers or you're not Mm -hmm. given those opportunities or you know things like that I think that yeah you sort of need to kind of figure out a way to think about calling and vocation when those things kind of happen the quote about vocation that I want to share now so um, a couple years ago I was hiking in the Indiana Dunes we lived in Valparaiso for a while and uh, really enjoyed hiking up there so there's some great places but we were we were hiking my husband and I we were hiking in the dunes and we came upon this sign uh by I think it was a senator and it just read when I was young I wanted to change the world and then when I was in my mid-career I wanted to change America and now I just want to protect the Indiana dunes (laughs) (laughs) and I love that as you know I'm I'm 40 now I'm Mm -hmm. mid-career and I just I love that quote so much and it represents I think uh, a reality of yeah when we start out we have all these dreams and aspirations Mm. and and you want to have this big impact but then as you go along like it's not that ambition is bad and it's not that dreams are are you know they get you started but there's this focusing that has to happen and I just that is something that vocation has happened that is what it means for me today is this like okay I'm called to this particular place and to this particular people and I love them and they love me and we are not perfect right but this is where I'm learning about God's grace that's why I know I need to be here and that never ends right it's always yeah Mm -hmm. we can live that out until we can't yeah so and I think that probably well I'll let you say but do you think that has helped you when maybe you've had challenges or struggled with the idea of calling your vocation to kind of now have that way of thinking about it or that change of definition of it has do you think it's helped you in any times that you've struggled with well as we were talking about earlier life includes loss and that shift in vocation and what ministry means for me let in this expectation of loss like okay loss is going to be a part of my life yeah. There are going to be barriers. Uh, there are unjust systems that that are being acted upon me and, yeah. and people I love. And also, I'm imperfect, and or I'm not perfect, and I I mess up too. And so that has helped me navigate through loss and change, some of which I have brought, some of which I'm a part of is my own fault, yeah. and mm-hmm. some of which, like, it's just life and I was in the system that was also broken and so navigating through that navigating through loss while still being connected to a particular group of people that you know you are called to love and that they love you that becomes that consistent voice through so much change I think really has a way to provide some stability and hold you in times of loss and trauma so those, uh, those personal relationships are the ones that kind of keep you grounded during those difficult times when things seem uh, less secure or less, uh, less firm, I guess, yeah. about where they're going to go. Yeah. Have you had, do you feel like you've had seasons where you had doubts or struggled with your vocation or calling? No. <laughs> Always just. <laughs> no. Yeah. Plow ahead. Next question. No doubts. <laughs> no struggles. I, I mean... Or what have those looked like for you? Yeah, um, I'm a. I've talked about people a lot already, or community, and so loss in the community, uh, loss in team. Uh, when 
an important part of choosing where to work and how to be in ministry for me has always been team. Okay. Um, and working with collaboration is a high value of mine. And so when, when there's a change or a loss in that, that's been a big struggle for me. And then I guess to put some specifics on it, you know, until you begin, you know, I was there for eight years and a lot of joys and a lot of struggles uh, in that in that time. And there was a time where we we lost our, <laughs> the city decided that we could not operate in the building that we had been operating in, uh, that had been our, our yeah, your home. That was our home, yeah. yeah. Um, someone once called it like, you lost your clubhouse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and that was a huge uh, loss for the ministry and for me personally, because it was just like, wow, I thought this was a stable right. ministry and now it could just be gone so quickly and we yeah. had to, to pivot really quickly. Yeah. And you know, around the same time too, we had a, a student die by suicide, and that loss uh, was deeply impactful for me and personal. And, and again, I think you know, as I said earlier, the danger of when when people or a community choose isolation is is really hard and really dangerous. And so those were times in my life where I thought, well, maybe I should just quit. <laughs> um, but showing up every day, you know, still putting the keys in the door and opening the door yeah. and then working with pe- with good people who uh, loved me and gave me grace in those moments it was enough to just make soup and bread and serve that to people and having so having like a small tangible okay. act of yeah. service i think is is really good for ministers <laughs> yeah in those well, moments I mean, of physical of, manifesta- manifestation mm-hmm. absolutely um and it reminds you that okay it's not going to be a big impact day. It's not going to, we're not going to have all the answers, but we can do this one thing uh, together and we can trust that that's going to be enough. That's really helped me move through those times. So if you've, if you've struggled with doubts, then what have been sort of some of your, your hopes that you have, some of the dreams, the big goals that you have and ideas for, for ministry and for just for good work for yourself and others? Well, I have a lot of hope that God is still connecting people in the world um, as I really believe the Spirit is busy uh, working to call people um, to ministry, to do a good work, do a good, meaningful work in the world. Um, it doesn't always have to be work in a church, um, but I really do believe that God is still calling people. And my hope in that is is how people can connect to then help others. And so to share a little story about that, back in Tubingen, uh, in 2016, the Syrian refugee uh, crisis was happening. Yeah. Kind of almost overnight, uh, Germany opened its borders to Syrian refugees, and our little town of Tubingen got like 30,000. Wow. Uh, yeah, or the, like that area, that whole area. Uh, maybe that was, and kind of the whole country was trying to figure out how do we integrate, how do we, how do we help? And then in our one little area, I remember our church that we were uh, partnering with, you know, they wanted to help, they wanted to do stuff, but they, they kind of didn't know what to do first. Mm-hmm. And they had some financial resources, but they didn't necessarily have a lot of people resources. And I was like, well, well we've got people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, being in campus ministry, I was like, I know how to connect people. Yeah, I can do that. And on then on my team uh, was a woman named Sarah Haddad, um, who uh, spoke, who, uh, spoke Arabic and she and I like we she just started going to the dormitories and meeting with uh, refugees and like talking to them and that led to starting a language cafe in the church um, and kind of a partnership between the campus ministry the church and this like language cafe and then um, 
In the summer, it's really hot in Germany. Uh, there's like no escaping it. Um, and it was Ramadan and mm. you know, people were just really tired because yeah. they were fasting all day. Yep. And we decided to, uh, and this was Sarah's idea, to host a dinner uh, where we would break the fast. Yeah. Uh, with, we would let, we would- With people, yeah. With people. Uh -huh. um, and so you have this like very Lutheran Protestant uh, white church and, <laughs> and all these Syrian refugees and then these college kids like coming together to break the fast. And um, and I remember um, one of the, the leaders in the church, he was like, so I think there's gonna be like 60 more people coming to this dinner. Like there are more refugees. More. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, we had kind of prepped for like 30. It was yeah. like a small yeah. thing. and. I just remember when he told me that was the night before, and so I was like, mm. "We've got 24 hours to like to make double the amount, yeah. the amount of food that yeah, we're planning that to we're make. gonna make." And but we had already rented these vans to like move some food around, and so I was like, uh. "Okay, well, we have the vans. We have the ability to transport the food. to transport food and people." Mm -hmm. um, this is like the loaves and fishes. It is. Right. It was totally yeah. the loaves and fishes story, and it and it was. Just it became and it was this wonderful night. I mean, so many people came together. We ate this amazing, like all this food. Somehow, <laughs> we cooked it all together. And then you had this, like I was saying, this like Protestant Lutheran church, Syrian yeah. refugee families, and college students all coming together in this one place. That in a way that none of us could have imagined 24 hours before that, or even a couple of weeks before that. And I. I know that was God. I know that was God bringing us together. And it wasn't like, you know, now we all had a, a worship service or, the, right, you know, yeah. it was a meal, mm -hmm. and, and which was a worship service, I think. Yeah. Um, that is how I see God working in the world. And that is something that gives me a lot of hope to think about how God takes our skills and interest and puts them together in a particular context for a particular people. And just the fact that Sarah knew Arabic in a very <laughs> random point of history wasn't so random after all and yeah. that this church wanted to open its doors uh, for refugees and then we had the ability to connect people and we had vans you know yeah the vans <laughs> the vans I mean, listen the, the vans can they were their own they, character yeah. that day they they saved the day um a couple when you're working ways. in ministry whether you have vans or not is a big deal <laughs> it can make or break it yeah it was a very fun, funny moment I don't know if we could do this. I was like, well, we have vans. Yeah. <laughs> okay then. So yes. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's do this. So I'm just wondering how maybe even that story might inform how you think about discernment. I don't know. Just for, <laughs> I mean, I think it could. Like that story. Yeah. <laughs> big <laughs> that, turn. That, that sounds like a big turn. I love that segue there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was kind of thinking that. Somehow, say more, say more. No, that that story, you know, I I think just the belief or the openness to the way God is working in the spirit is working, uh, I think, is a way of approaching discernment because you, you're kind of starting from a place of believing, right, and trusting God. Mm. Um, so I don't know that, I guess that's where the connection, it, it sounds like a really big no, turn, I mean, but that's where the connection in my brain was, right. was I'm tracking with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, there it's assumptions, right? So what right. is it that you're assuming we have vans, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So therefore what, what are you, what kind of assumptions are you coming to that table yeah. with? Right. And like, if all we need is vans, 
<laughs> we can figure out. <laughs> we can change the world. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, yeah. you did for those people in that day. Yeah. I mean, it's a very real way. So. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about before with loss, too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And just not giving in to this mentality of scarcity. And so whether it is a moment of joy or a moment of loss, having within you this capacity to say yes. And I knew I could say yes to that moment because I was like, oh, we have some people and we've we've made it through some things before. Like at that point, our ministry had pivoted and changed in different right. ways after losing Already. the house. Yeah. And we had seen people be transformed and there had been a lot of healing from death. And so I think... The further you go, you carry those stories with you, and they give you more capacity to, to trust and to say yes in situations where it's like, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I know I can lean in here. And so with discernment, I think it's through a lot of prayer, imagining what that next step could look like, but also just trusting within yourself that God's given you the capacity to say yes already and lean in and just that next step you know, with another person. Like, I had Sarah Haddad, so that was a huge right. resource. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, that would be a different story. You know, I, I think of the the story of when Jesus tells the disciples, you know, to cast their nets on the other side, and, like, it, they, they get so many fish that it almost, like, destroys the nets. So they have to pull the nets in together. And I think discernment is also looking around and saying, okay, who's with me? Or who is beside me? And what could we do together? Yeah, For me, it starts there. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that there's both, it's a starting place of that, your relationship with God, because mm-hmm. it kind of begins in that, like, belief and trust, like that relationship, but also relationship with others, uh, where you have to have that kind of, you know, trust, I think, in a relationship to be able to take that next step and sort of in that discernment. Um, which, you know, something I think we have to face when there are times when we have those kind of relationships and times when when you struggle with, with that trust or those relationships um, in decision-making and discernment. Yep. I think who we have around us makes a big difference yeah. in our capacity or ability to say yes to things. Yeah. And then I think to realize you also have the ability within yourself to make a friend. You know, sometimes we might be in a situation where it's hard to know who's with us. And then you can also form a friendship with someone who's different from you, can also be a way of discerning your call and seeing how that call gets lived out in a new way. And so if, as we have folks that are trying to figure out what that looks like for yeah. them, like what other ways or advice do you have of encouragement for other people and how can they remain open to the spirit and the way that God is leading them and what those next steps might look like? Yeah. For me, like an imaginative prayer practice has been really helpful. Um, okay. There's some of that is an Ignatian uh, yeah. prayer, which I, mm-hmm. I know you guys have talked about before. And I think I've done a version of this kind of through all my big decision moments. Okay. I just, just intuitively, I, yeah. Yeah, well, and I just recently got like started studying more of the Ignatian practices and the exam. And so and now I have all this great like language and, <laughs> and books. There are so yeah. many books. But See, other people do this. Yeah, exactly. Um, but an imaginative prayer practice is sitting down or walking and just really trying to imagine what your life will look like in this new job on a Tuesday. What does the weekly rhythm look like? And then through prayer, just imagining that whole week out uh, in a way. Like, how will this affect my husband? How will, what will our evenings look like? 
that has really been helpful for me and to think about the rhythm that this will add to my life and does that rhythm match my values is it something I can integrate my family into because I do think calling vocation uh, is holistic although transitions are difficult and can be really hard on our loved ones I think eventually there should be an integration that happens and so that imaginative prayer practice has helped me um, even if it ends up being completely different than how I imagined sure, it, sure. In the, yeah. it's just a it gives you, know, you some context. Um, mm-hmm. And it's and I think it's a hope-filled practice because you know as you're you're praying through, okay, what's my, where are we going to go to church? Uh, what yeah. is this going to look like? Um, Weekends, how, all kinds of stuff. How yeah. are we going to yeah. make friends? <laughs> no friends. <laughs> no friends. <laughs> um, you know that that's been really uh, important to me. The next thing I would say is like, don't be afraid to go, <laughs> to leave. The only context that you know uh, for for another one, you know, I'm, I moved to Tübingen, Germany. I did not know anyone. I did not know the language. I didn't even really know the team that I was going with at the time. And you know, and in fact, like yeah. Jane, <laughs> we visited Germany together. Yeah, I'll never forget that first trip where I was trying to imagine what my life could be like. And you know, we were. I've told this story before, but we were coming back from a party walking down the hill and just thinking about the friendships and the conversations from that party. And I was like, I want to be in these people's lives. This is where I want to go. Even though I don't know what this can look like and I don't know the language, this feels really scary. But moving through that fear brought a lot of love into my life and formed me in ways that I'm so grateful for today. And so if I could just encourage anyone to actually leave, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> leave their context for another one, you will mm-hmm. find God's love to be bigger than you ever imagined it to be. Mm-hmm. And you will find the people of God to be kinder than you ever imagined them to be too, because you'll meet different Christians and different, uh, you know, and different people who believe in different things from you. Um, and that will change you and that will help you see your own faith in ways that you can't right now. And I think that also grows our capacity for trust and the ability to say yes even more. So those would be my two things. That's good stuff. Yeah. Well, as we come to kind of the end of this, this I guess, season of the Longview yeah. podcast and looking back over all the, the other 10 episodes we've had with different folks on the show and thinking about what the Ministry Resource Center is and what yeah. it's about, what kind of lessons have you learned from the mentoring aspect of that mm-hmm. program? I've really been surprised by how many, I've been surprised by how many graduates, how many people in ministry go through changes their first couple years after seminary. Right Mm -hmm. after. Right Right. after. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of that is a complete job change. Some of that is just the person who recruited me has now gone. My -hmm. job role has changed. Some of that is personal loss. There's just so much that, that happens. And so watching a mentor be that consistent voice in someone's life as they go through so much change has helped me understand the need for friendships in ministry, that the, the power that that has. It's also reminded me that loss and change is part of life and we we have to build up some resiliency to it, but not a resiliency to it where that leads to, like that, that's not, that doesn't mean we become bitter. Yeah, not in an unhealthy way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it actually like, you, you need to become more flexible and I've seen mentors help people find that resiliency, that flexibility in ministry. And through that, find new callings and know when to, okay, when I need to 
stick it out and stay and and be a sounding board and help someone say, yeah, it's probably, maybe you should look for a new opportunity or maybe a new mm. opportunity could look like this for you in this place. Have you yeah. thought about it this way? Um, and that's just been really rich to watch those friendships uh, happen and to see people really grow in their faith through the mentoring program at the Ministry Resource Center. In starting this, I thought it would just be about, well, I thought a lot of it would just be about helping someone find a job. Okay. And and that is part of it. Part like of it, we, yeah. we do want everyone want to have, to find jobs. we want you to have a job. Um, so much of it, of it has really been about helping ministers grow in their faith. It's been a very spiritual, caring community and a program that has ended up really just being about helping people grow in their faith, helping ministers do that. And that's been really enriching and it's been enough. And to see people go through that loss and change and still love God and still think, I think I can still help the church, mm -hmm. uh, has also helped me feel like I'm still connecting back yeah. to that little girl under the piano bench, mm. you know, of, okay, something is happening here. I don't know what, I don't have words for it, but I'm gonna lean in these people are connecting in ways that maybe they also don't have words for, but they love each other. And I've seen the mentoring program remind ministers of that because they have this connection and a friend in mentoring. What would you say is a hope that you have for graduates or those who are transitioning? Like what, yeah, what are some of your hopes for them? Don't give in to isolationism don't give in to the mentality of, of scarcity it takes a lot of energy to pick up the phone when you're sad yeah it does and, and i know and i'm yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry it does i it's wish just, I, there's no way around that there's it no does. way it, but once you do that little thing has already started you down the path of healing and hope and imagining more hope for your life and ministry and that would be one piece of advice yeah. or hope for them is that do the work of connecting with people mm -hmm. and letting people in. You know, I, I think it takes a long time actually to fall mm -hmm. in love with a community. Mm -hmm. It's not, I, maybe in the beginning there's these interests and these curiosities sure, yeah. and you're, you're excited. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when that wears off. Yeah. And I was, <laughs> I told my husband the other day, I was like, I think it takes about three years to fall in love with a community. And he's like, that's not true. I've seen you love people instantly. And I'm like, well, that's, but the real work of like, I belong to these people and they belong to me, that just takes time. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you, even as the minister, you just, you have to let people in. You have to let the people that, you have to let the people into your life that you've been called to serve and let them also be your friends. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. Good encouragement. Um, curious also about just, as you've been a part of the Ministry Resource Center and, you know, been with a lot of students as they're transitioning, what's uh, a challenge that you've seen them face in that period of time as they're transitioning um, as sort of maybe another hope, you know, for the future, but what's maybe a challenge in the last couple of years that you've seen students face as they graduate and transition? Well, no one was prepared for COVID. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a big one. That's a big that's one. True. That's true. That being said, so as we've been saying in this in our time together, life includes loss mm -hmm. and change, and the challenge that I've seen is that it's always harder than we expected. And I think as soon as we can get to a place where we expect there to be loss and change, not to be dark, but yeah. 
actually moves us to a place of hope pretty quickly. It's a mm -hmm. weird tension, a weird balance there of like, mm. well, I know loss is just a part of life, um, but so is hope. And it's in that is a challenge I've seen graduates, you know, and with COVID and all the change that that has brought and all the loss that that has brought, no one, no one was trained for that. It's impossible to, to train mm -hmm. for that. And which is true of a lot of loss and change. And yeah. so realizing that like, it's not necessarily training. <laughs> it's, there's not a, a book out there sure. that will just give right. you all the answers. Um, it's formation. And that's like to go back to seminary. Seminary was the place that taught me that I am part of this rich history of people who have always been looking for ways to say how God is good in times of loss and crisis and joy. And so I step into that history. That history is in me. It's not, right. um, I belong to a wonderful movement and how God has been working in the world, both past, present, and future. And so we have all that. That's actually a really big resource. Mm -hmm. And to tap into that in, the, in those moments too I can think, actually give you a way forward. Yeah, and I think to recognize that that you're in the midst of writing another chapter in that yeah. history, that mm -hmm. you are carrying that forward, but also for somebody, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 years down the road are going to be able to look back and see mm -hmm. how you know, we were a part of a faithful group that carried this part of it forward mm -hmm. yeah. and seeing, I guess, the, the lineage in that. Absolutely. Well. There's, um, our history includes, also includes, like my personal family history also includes the stories of Abraham right. and the stories of yeah. the church. And, and then it's like, okay, this is not the first yeah. <laughs> world crisis that the yep. church has lived There's through. Been There's been a couple. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we can get through this one too. It's usually bigger and broader than yeah. you, you know, are thinking in the moment. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you hanging you, out with yeah. us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here. And uh, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Uh, sure. It's been a lot of fun. That's yeah. A really great We've conversation. really loved it and getting to connect with everybody and mm -hmm. hear people's stories and get to talk, you know, learn from them and with them so it's been a lot of fun can i can i ask you guys a question sure okay what you got <laughs> well maybe <laughs> i would just love to hear a little bit about what you've learned about friendships and ministry you know so many of the people you've had on here have been your friends like we've true in yeah the, mm -hmm. the stone mm -hmm. campbell ways, yeah. movement yeah. uh there's Small, been a lot of <laughs> a lot of connection here um, a lot of connection through the seminary that has formed us in so many different ways and good ways. Jane, you were my freshman roommate in seminary. Uh, so yeah, what have you learned about the importance of friendship and ministry from doing this podcast and hearing the stories uh, from folks? Well, I mean, I think a few things I would say are words that you've even used today, but uh, I think that the friendships that I've had or that we've you know shared over the years with the group uh, that we've had on the on the podcast and from seminary have been life-giving so I think they've been sustaining like you've said sort of through change and loss and just all we've experienced and whether it had to do with decisions you know being made uh, about ministry or work or even just things that we've faced in life you know um I think that those relationships and friendships, when you let them in, like you said, when you let them be uh, a part of your life and you are open and honest with them, um, they can sustain you. They can stabilize you. Uh, they can 
basically carry you, you know, through your life and your work and your ministry. And I've experienced that for sure uh, through the friendships, you know, like your friendship and uh, Tim's and other people on this podcast, you know, have been that, uh, I would just say, in my life for sure. So, um, yeah, I think I would just echo some of, of what you've talked about today. That's been true in my life. I think, you know, as you, you asked that question, I've kind of in my mind been going back through all of the people that we've interviewed yeah. and thinking about, all right, what did they say about this? Or what could I take from what they said? And I think without fail, every person, whether they named them or not, has said, this person did this thing for me. Yep. Mm-hmm. This person gave me a vision for what ministry could be, inspired me in some way, was there for me in this difficult time, or I go back to this book, or I go back to this thing that that person said. And, and so just seeing just the, um, those deep personal connections and how that has an impact on who it is that we become and what our ministry and the way that we sort of live that out, what it looks like. And, but in order to, to do that, in order to, to have those places, we have to be willing to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and allow people uh, the privilege of being a part of our lives in a deeper way to get past sort of that initial wall that we might have um, to, to get to a place where we can share what those, what our fears are, mm-hmm. what our hopes are, what our dreams are. And if we can't get to a place where we can share that, um, it's going to be real hard for us to move beyond that. And so uh, you really, um, you talked about, you know, isolation and loneliness and how much courage and strength it takes to pick up that phone. Even if it's just a text message. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, that's, uh, that is a huge, huge leap just yeah. to be able to get to that point. And so, uh, I think that all the episodes bears out the fact that we all need each other and we're all in, have been in some of these similar situations. Mm -hmm, And so if we can just muster up the courage to just send the text and just say, Hey, I could use uh, a listening ear or some words of encouragement. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm in a rough place right now. Um, And I, and then we all know what that's like. Yeah. And I think the trust, I mean, for me, there is that connection of trust like in the friendships, but also when I think about, you know, trust in our relationship with God as yeah. we're remaining open to God's leading and following God in our lives. And, you know, I think that that takes trust. And so, you know, and we've probably experienced relationships or things like that where, you know, where that's, uh, there's been a struggle with that or broken or, you know, things like that. And I think we do have to, continue somehow I mean and I think we through friendships through community through um, you know counseling other things like that you know kind of healing from those things or working through them but continuing to be open and sort of take that you know those next steps um, and being open in that relationship with God and with friends you know to continue on in that process thank you good question we don't get a whole lot of those. Yeah. We try and uh, deflect them and move around them or not answer them. And, yeah. We could talk about them for a while. Then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we certainly could. Uh, yeah. I love those answers. And I um, thank you so much for being a place for, for being my friend, <laughs> for letting me be vulnerable with you. And uh, yeah. thank you so much for this podcast. I think providing a place for people to share their story is a restorative practice. Yeah. And then when we get to listen to someone else's stories, 
it helps us be more vulnerable and to see how God is bigger than we imagine. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. Love to do it. Yep. And as always, we want to close out with a, a poem. Um, and I, I think it's appropriate. Today we've got uh, a poem from Raina Maria Rilke. Yeah. My, mm -hmm. our, our favorite, our uh, Jane and I's favorite uh, German mystic poet. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of asking you to read it in German, we'll go ahead and, and read uh, it. I don't know. I'm still... <laughs> <laughs> wanting that but no it's okay Let's maybe go. later maybe, maybe later. later so this is from uh, the book of hours god speaks to each of us as he makes us then walks with us silently out of the night these are the words we dimly hear you sent out beyond your recall go to the limits of your longing embody me flare up like flame and make big shadows that i can move in let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life. You will know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. Amen. Amen. Can I see it? You're going to read the German? Yeah, yeah oh, I'll try. It's beautiful. Yeah. I'm not good at reading poetry, though, so. In German? Yeah. In unison? No. <laughs> Gott spricht zu jedem nur, ehe er ihn macht. Dann geht er schweigen mit ihm aus der Nacht. Aber die Worte, er jeden beginnt, diese folgenden Worte sind. Von deinen Sinnen hinausgesandt, geh bis an deiner Sehnsucht rand. Gib mir Gewand. Hinter den Dingen wachsen als Brand, dass ihre Schatten ausgespannt immer mich ganz bedecken. Lass dir alles geschehen, Schönheit und Schrecken. Man muss nur gehen. Kein Gefühl ist das Fernste. Lass dich von mir nicht trennen. Nah ist das Land, die sie das Leben nennen. Du wirst es erkennen an seinem Ernste. Gib mir die Hand. Thanks for reading, Beth. That was wonderful. And thank you to the Ministry Resource Center for helping us with the uh, funds to purchase the equipment so we could do this podcast. So that wraps up season one, and we uh, thank you all so much for listening and hope you have a great summer.